Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Not Another Mummy Podcast. I'm Alison Perry and you're listening to episode 26. My guest today is Elle Wright, who started her blog and Instagram account, Feathering the Empty Nest, in 2017 to help her cope with the death of her three-day-old baby, Teddy. Over 50,000 people now follow Elle as she shares life after Teddy, the renovations of her home and her adventures with her pug, Boris. As you'll hear, Elle is just the most positive and inspiring lady. During our chat, we cover what happened in the days after Teddy was born and how it felt to return home without a baby after nine months or preparing for his arrival. Elle talks about how she adjusted to the grief, keeping busy in the months after Teddy died by renovating her home and eventually, last year, starting her blog and Instagram. So I went to Elle's beautiful home for tea and hot cross buns. And as we chatted, Boris the pug cozied up next to us. You can actually hear him snoring during the recording. Uh, And I have to apologise because the sound quality on this isn't great due to a technical hitch. But I still wanted to put out the episode because what Elle is saying is so important. Welcome, Elle. It is so nice to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good today, yes. yes. Apart from living in utter mess, I feel like you've discovered the truth behind um, the Instagram squares today and I can for that I can only apologise. We're sitting in here, is this your dining room? This is the dining room, yeah. And um, yeah, you've, you've got radiators kind of off the walls, ready to put on the walls. It's it's uh... That's the idea. I mean, we could just leave them around like this and sort of see what happens. But yes. I'm, I'm hoping someone's going to come and put them on the walls. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Elle, um, your story, does that sound a bit trite to call it your story? I know. It feels people, like your X Factor journey. I know. People, when they contact me through Instagram or, or email me, I, I often get the email that starts with, I've just read your story. And and it, the, the the journey is another thing. People who lose yeah. a child tend to say, "Oh, we're on this journey, and fertility, we're on a journey." I think we all need to come up with a new yeah. saying. I it's, don't know what it is. But. I think it's hard though. Because I think I think we're all we're constantly trying to find words to describe difficult situations. And I think that, that when we when we find a word that the people generally feel comfortable using, you just go with it, don't yeah. you? Yeah, and then we all do it. Yeah. It's like everything in life, isn't yeah. it? 
Um, but it's not really your story, it's your life. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you've, you've lived it, haven't you? Um, but you, you, you appear to now be this incredibly inspiring person who is, you know, putting your life out there on Instagram and on your blog and, you know, doing things like podcasts and magazine interviews. And I imagine that you're probably offering a lot of support. So, um, it's just it, that in itself is an incredibly amazing thing for you to be doing. But let's kind of go right back and talk about um, two years ago, were you pregnant with yeah, Teddy? Yeah, so this time two years ago I was pregnant. Um, and then talk us through what happened. So we, like most people who had recently got married, we got married in 2014 and decided at the end of that year we would sort of try for a baby. And because we were completing on our house and we thought, you know, this is our moment, we're going to start a family. And we um, found out in September 2015, so after about 10 months of trying for a baby, that we were expecting Teddy. Um, I had a really healthy pregnancy. I was really lucky. Um, lots of my friends and my sister-in-law joked and called me the pregnancy unicorn. And, you know, it was all really good, swimmingly good. Um and I gave birth to Teddy in May 2016. Um, so his due date was the 20th of May. He arrived on the 16th because I had to be induced because my waters were leaking. Right. Um, but that, again, was no worry. It was, you know, perfectly normal. Went in um, to be induced and, and uh, that all went well. Had a natural labour. Had him that evening. So he was born on... Uh, the 16th and when he came out um he came out <laughs> when he was born mm-hmm. um they sort of passed him around to me and the first thing I noticed um as that because I was on all fours and they, they passed him around to me and they said you know do you want to see what you've got because we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl and I thought you know I've just done the hard slog I want to make the announcement um and he was quiet he was silent mm-hmm. and he was sort of just his little arms were flopping down and to me, or I remember thinking, he's really small. Um, and I was expecting a really big baby. I don't know why, I was expecting a whopper. Um, I had been about nine and a half pounds myself, I think, and my husband and I are both big, tall people. Yeah. Um, and after I said he's a boy, the next thing that came out of my mouth was, he's so small, he's so small. I mean, he wasn't hugely small, he was six pounds two. Um, but for me, that felt tiny, yeah. so tiny. Um, and then they said, in the next breath, we're going to take him. And he, I realised at that moment, that actually, he was floppy. He wasn't breathing. Um, and so they sort of, Dad, do you want to cut the cord to my husband? Ran away with, with Teddy. The next thing, I'm helped up on the bed to, you know, do what they've got to do after the delivery of the baby. And I kind of thought in that moment, that something something wrong. Because you, you know the the hormones sort of take over, don't they? And and the adrenaline when you're having a baby. And it kind of took me a few minutes to realise that actually what, you know, what's just happened. Mm. After about 15, 20 minutes, a consultant came back in holding him and said, he's fine. He just needed a little bit of uh, rub down with a towel. He needs a bit of oxygen. Really normal, happens to loads of babies. Mm. So we were handed him back. We called our parents, told everybody that, you know, we they had a, a grandson and nephew and told a few of our friends. And 
by that time it was kind of you know evening we were told to go to bed um in the hospital so we were directed back to the ward we put him in his little they look like plastic containers, don't mm-hmm. they? Yeah. We put him in his plastic container. In his Tupperware. Yeah, in his Tupperware box. Um, and I tried to get some sleep because we'd been in hospital since the evening prior. I hadn't slept a wink, obviously, because I'd been, you know, priorly engaged, giving birth. Um, and was knackered and went to get some sleep. And that was probably about 10-ish. About two and a half hours later, I was woken up by um, a midwife shaking my shoulder I mean, she was shaking my, she was pulling me off the bed to shake me, to wake me up. And she, her words were, um, I've got to take him. He's really cold. And she picked him up in that moment. And I just saw his little arms just flop down by his side. Mm. I've never woken up so quickly in my life. Um, and then I, I knew something had gone horribly wrong because mm. there were there were people running around. They pulled the curtains around where we were in the ward there was running up and down corridors, there was flashing lights, there, you name it. It was, it's like you see it in slow motion. Um, and when you watch, you know, you used to watch ER or something like that, and you, you kind of feel like you're, I felt like I was watching that. Yeah. I was like, this shit, this is happening to me. Um, and the, we were then ushered off into another room and a wait that I think was probably about half an hour felt like a lifetime until a consultant came in to see us. And his words were, you have a very poorly little boy. Um, Again, I don't, although I knew it was bad, I don't think I realised the severity of it. Did they see at that point what was wrong with him? No. Um, They just said he wasn't breathing. Um, We don't know how long he's not been breathing. We have resuscitated him, but it took us 18 minutes. We cannot tell you the damage that you know, could have happened as a result of that. And of course, I didn't know in that moment he was talking about brain damage. You know, if if anybody is starved of oxygen for that amount of time, that's inevitable. I didn't know that because I'm not a doctor. Um, Anyway, we were taken to a private room, told to get some sleep, told that Teddy was being looked after um, in the SCABU, which again, meant nothing to me at the time. It means special care baby unit. I now know that it will be ingrained on on my mind forever. Um, and the next morning, when the midwives came in to see us sort of a few hours later, they said, Teddy needs more specialist care that we can give than we can give him here. Um, so we were at the Royal Surrey Hospital in Guildford. Um, we don't have a NICU um, unit here, um, neonatal intensive care unit. So basically, like intensive care for adults, but for babies, so very sick babies or very premature babies. And Teddy's going to be transferred. We're just trying to get a place for him at St Peter's, which is in Chertsey, so just around the M25. Failing that, if they don't have space for him, you'll be transferred into London. So we kind of had a wait. Um, They transferred him uh, later that morning in a specialist ambulance. And we were told to go home, you know, have a shower, repack our bags and go back to the, the NICU at that hospital where we did that was on the Tuesday lunchtime um Teddy remained in the NICU there for the rest of the Tuesday all of the Wednesday and on Thursday lunchtime they told us that there wasn't anything else that they could do to keep him alive he'd been on a on a ventilator a brain monitor a cooling mat and a plethora of other equipment that I if I'm honest I don't really understand Mm. 
for that time um, and we had stayed in the hospital with him in the parents accommodation there um, you know both of our sets of parents had been to see him but none of the consultants had any idea what was wrong with him um, and they were running as many tests as they could you know blood tests um, they did tests on different fluids in his body they did brain monitoring everything that they could um, and then they you know they said to us that he, he's not getting any better, he's deteriorating, he, his brain isn't functioning. We don't know whether that was before or whether that's as a result of what's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, you know, we need to withdraw his life support, which in that moment as a parent, you just don't, nothing prepares you to be, to be told that that's the case. And, um, I can remember in that moment having another out-of-body experience of thinking, right, you've got to keep yourself together. You have to ask the right questions in that moment because I can already I can already remember having thought, I don't want you to look back on this this moment that this happened and think, why didn't I ask that? Why didn't I push for that? And so I just did all the talking. I had my parents there and my husband there and I just kind of without even crying I just sort of took over and asked all these matter of fact questions um and one of them and the first one the main one as far as I'm concerned is you know is the damage that has been done to him is it irreparable is it irreversible mm-hmm. and they said yes mm-hmm. and that to me kind of it's not really an option it's not really a you know would you like us to 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 end it here it was a you know you you have to end it here it's got to it's got to stop now um so yeah so that was on the 19th of may 2016 and we obviously went home without him what was that like i mean (sighs) you spend nine months preparing yourself for becoming a family and i guess like doing his nursery and or at that point you didn't know it was a boy but we kind of went neutral. <laughs> yeah, there was Played a lot of neutrals. a lot of neutrals mm. going on. Um, what was it like? Nothing ever prepares you for something that shocking, I don't think. And I think it's... I mean, I can't speak for anyone else who's ever lost anybody in very shocking, very tragic circumstances. But it's... I imagine the same feeling as if you know, somebody you love dies in an accident one day, they go out to work and then suddenly, that you know, that's it. Um, I think the difference with perhaps losing a child through stillbirth or neonatally is how the event gets turned on its head. So, like you said, nine months of excitement, nine months of anticipation, nine months of building up to the happiest day of your life, or one of. And nine months building up to your life changing, like, you know, you're told so much through, through yeah. pregnancy, oh, things will never be the same again, yeah. and, you know, preparing yourself for this big life-changing moment. Exactly, and for me it became life-changing, but for all the wrong reasons, it just became what should have been the happiest event suddenly turns into the absolute saddest, the unthinkable. And I think that is where, you know, the, I felt like the universe got flipped and flipped upside down because everything that was meant to be wasn't happening. Yeah. And it was actually the complete opposite end of the spectrum with regards to feelings and emotions and 
shock. Mm. And your body, I'm guessing, would have been behaving like a new mum, as you know, as, as you were. Exactly. So the day that we found out that Teddy's life support was going to be withdrawn, um, apologies if everyone can just hear Boris snoring, by the way, he's <laughs> next to me here. He's um, having a good old sleep. He's, having, he's not really interested in the conversation. Yeah, the day that... Um, that we found out that Teddy wasn't going to be coming home was day three. It was actually the day that my milk properly came in. Um, <sighs> Mother Nature at its absolute all-time cruelest, I think, because yeah. you've got... I mean, any new mum will tell you, I imagine, that you've suddenly got these great norks stuck to your front. You've never felt less sexy in your life. You can barely walk. You, you've... And you look like Pamela Anderson and, you know, they're hard and uncomfortable. And I remember my husband and I, we get through a lot of things with humour. I can remember pulling up my top and exposing my horrible, you know, sports kind of maternity bra and saying, well, this is really good timing for a pair of these, isn't it? And, you know, we fell about laughing because you you have to laugh or you'd cry. And, you know, and then obviously I did come home from hospital with these horribly you know, like engorged, aching boobs. And I had to wait for those to go down. And, you know, I couldn't even properly hug anybody who wanted to hug me because I couldn't get near them. And yeah, and then you've got all the other emotions of, you know, they say that day three or four, isn't it, after you have a baby, that's when the hormones kick in and and you crash. You crash, you're you're gonna lose your shit. If you're gonna lose your shit, that's when it's happening. but yeah, that was the day that we came home from hospital without our baby. So it was kind of like double, double whammy. Mm. Yeah. People seem to understandably focus on how the mum is feeling in that situation. But it must have been really hard for Nicola, your husband, as well. Like, all through this must have been just utterly devastating for him as well. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's the same it's like with anything that you face as a couple but I think when it involves your children or it involves a baby or trying for a baby everyone always focuses on the woman don't they and what she's going through understandably because you know you carry the child yeah you give birth to the child yeah and but he just lost his son as well and I think we kind of think oh you know guys are maybe more programmed to just get on with it it's that kind of stoic British thing isn't it of you know we must just carry on but I was so concerned about him and I can just remember, you know, he was there trying to sort of pick me up, lift me up and make sure I was okay. Um, but at the same time, you know, I was thinking, God, who's who's looking after you? Who's yeah. looking out for you? Yeah. So, yeah, that was really... And actually, I get... I think I get quite upset even when I think about that now because it's that whole thing... You want to protect somebody from something so much and you just can't. There's mm. nothing you can do to protect them from it. So you're trying to make it better and make them make it feel better. And and it's yeah, it's a really, really tricky situation to be in. Yeah. I think watching somebody you love and trying to support them and then at the same time you're going to do something awful as well. Oh, it's just, yeah, so many mixed affirmations. That's when you need other people to step in, like, you know, your mum or your friends. I mean, how, like, what was your support network around about that time? How did you get through that whole period? We are so lucky. And I don't think I realised how lucky I was with my family and my friendship group. 
until the chips are down, you know, when that's when people step up, isn't it? And mm. you realise, oh my God, I've got all these people here who, you know, love love us and support us and want to help us. Um, my parents were amazing. They always are. They moved in with us for sort of the days after we came back from hospital. They came back from hospital with us that night. I don't think there's any way they would have gone home. I think they needed to even just made sure that we ate a meal. And I think that was the first thing when we came in the the door that evening. My dad was straight in the kitchen, you know, making sure everyone was going to eat food. Um, You know, and they, again, were just watching us go through something that they couldn't protect us from. And I think my pet, my, my dad would probably be the first to admit that anything normally goes wrong in mine and my brother's lives, it can normally be fixed by him sort of loaning us some money or you know it's a typical dad thing isn't it I throw a bit yeah. of money at the problem yeah. and I'm sure you'll be all right you know a bit of a talking to but this was the thing this was the one thing that nobody could protect us from and it, it happened and it was too late and our parents just had to watch us come through it and come through the other side but at the same time going through it themselves you know yeah. they'd lost a grandchild yeah, and so for them it was kind of double the emotion they yeah. were watching Nico's parents and my parents were watching their kids go through this and and had just lost a grandchild themselves. And the same thing happens, you know, from my brothers and Nico's brother and sister. And Nico's brother is over in Australia with his family. So he felt so far removed from the whole situation and wanted to do anything he could to help us. That's probably why your dad was in the kitchen making new food, because, you know, he's doing something yeah. rather than just feeling totally helpless. Yeah. And I think that was it. And our friends were the same. Our friends were just so lovely and just wanted to kind of not, they didn't have to see us, if that makes sense. Like yeah. I didn't want to see anyone after Teddy died. I I don't think maybe most people do when they've just had a baby anyway. Um, but I just didn't want to leave the house. I didn't want to see anyone. I think we just saw immediate family, really, for the first few weeks. Um and our friends were really understanding of that. And particularly my best friend, you know, I would just get a, a voicemail or a text message that said, I'm here to talk to you when I, when you are ready to talk to me. Mm. Um, and a lot of them sent, you know, lovely things in the post and and the, the little things. And it was good to know that everyone was there and everyone was sort of reaching out to us. Yeah. Um, and then what kind of things were you doing to kind of aid your recovery? So once you'd kind of got, you know, once time had passed and the days turned into the weeks, what kind of things were you doing to try and get yourself back to some sense of normality? Yeah, well, I've spoken about this quite a bit on the blog as well. Um, there were a few different things that I would say saved me without getting too, you know, cliche about it all. But I realised very early on, obviously, Nico had to go back to work. I was still on maternity leave. Um, How does that work? I mean, do you, you know, in, in, in the eyes of your employer and the law, are you are you still on maternity leave? Yeah. So if you have a child, um, if you give birth to a baby, um, I think it's, I mean, don't quote me on this. There are any employment law people out there listening. I want to say I think it's past 30 weeks, 32 weeks, something like that. It might be earlier. It might actually be much earlier than that. You are on maternity leave. Your right. maternity stands the day that it, it, it was when you left work. Right. Um, so as far as my employer was concerned, 
I wasn't due to go back to work until I think my return to work had been scheduled for some time in April 2017. Um, so here I was at home with no baby. Nico had had to go back to work because he'd had his you know, standard two weeks paternity. I think they'd let him have. I think they let him have like another week because obviously circumstances um, given. Um, and him being the kind of person he is, I think it really helped him to throw himself back into work. Right. We all grieve differently, and I think guys and women particularly, there's a big difference there. And he wanted to be doing something, and he had work trips that to New York and stuff that he couldn't get out of, so he. He was travelling, so I went back to my mum's for those time periods because I couldn't bear being in the house on my own. Um, but yeah, I was here and I realised that my hands and my mind weren't being kept busy by a new baby like they should have been. So I needed to busy them somewhere else. So the house got it in a massive way. Um, Anybody who follows the blog knows that I'm an obsessive painter, decorator, mover, arounder of furniture. Um, and that's always been a thing of mine. It's, that's That nesting kind of thing has always been um, a huge passion of mine. Um, and it wasn't really until I sort of needed it, if that makes sense, that I realised just how useful it was. Mm. Because I had this obsessive um, sort of tendency to constantly working on a project on the house... I thought, well, you know, you've got all the time in the world now, haven't you? Um, let's get cracking. So I did. I think if it wasn't nailed down or on fire in this house, I probably painted it. <laughs> um, and, yeah, I I just really kind of threw my passion into that. And it's weird because we all have these things in life that we enjoy, don't we? Whether it's home interiors or fashion or maybe we enjoy actual painting or photography or something. But when you are doing those things around everyday life and work, and for me, that was a job that required a huge amount of attention mm. um, and being in London every day, lots of hours, lots of time sitting at a laptop, um, those things massively take a backseat. Our passions mm. and our enjoyment take a backseat, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they do. That Life gets in the way. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, making money and going out to work every day has to be prioritised about, oh, I really want to faff around in this room at home and do this. Otherwise, being a grown-up sucks. Yeah, <laughs> being a grown-up absolutely blows, no doubt about it. Um, so I ended up with all this time to do all the things that I'd put to the back seat. And I thought this, this is actually a really good way of getting stuff done, mm. um, but helping myself mentally, um, filling my days, filling my times, um, going to things that I'd always wanted to go to, like antiques markets and stuff that was only ever open in the day when yeah, I was at work during the week. Yeah, yeah. So all the things that I thought, okay, I can, I can do that, and that's something that I can schedule in this week. I'm going to do. Um, I spent a lot of time seeing my friends who were off work as well, um, whether they just had a baby or were about to have a baby. So I was brilliant that I've got a great support network of people around who I could sort of hang out with mm. um, and understood that I might not be at my best and that I might just want to sit there and have a little cry in the corner and that that was cool too. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then, of course, you know, having Boris helps. I was going to say that. How, how, much of, um, how much of a support has Boris been? Has he... Uh, I get the impression that he's really helped you through. He has, he has. And 
I think I read a statistic that said something about um, people who lose a child, um, a young child, or you know, stillbirth, neonatal death, or a, a younger child. Um, I think it, it's like forty percent go on to get an, a pet, mm. a, a, a dog or a cat, to in the time in the immediate time after they lose a child. Um, as a as a distraction, I guess, as a thing to love, as yeah. a thing to pour all your love into. Yeah. Um. I was really fortunate because my little distraction was already here. He was already part of our family. We'd got him the year before Teddy was born, so he was nearly one and a half. And even the night that and my mum always tells this story, the night that we got home from hospital, when I was at the lowest ebb I've ever been in my life. I came through the front door. I hadn't. It was Thursday. I hadn't seen Boris since Sunday night when we dropped him at our friend's house. He was so pleased to see me. He was exploding with excitement, and I started laughing and cuddling him and letting him kiss my face. And my mum said, "I cannot believe in that moment he was the he was the only person in inverted commas that could make you smile." Mm. Um, and so he was brilliant because, you know, having a dog as anyone who's a, a a dog owner will tell you is if you don't walk them generally they make you feel incredibly guilty so Boris has a really good knack of sort of coming up to me and staring at me <laughs> giving me a load of heat um <laughs> until I until I take him out because that's his enjoyment in life you know that's his interaction and his stimulation um and I think after my initial sort of few weeks of saying to other people, well, can you walk Boris because I, I can't leave the house, I'm too scared that I might bump into somebody or see somebody. I thought, well, it's a bit like ripping a plaster off, isn't it? You've got to do it. There's A time has got to come where you cannot sit in the house forever, staring out the windows and thinking, oh, I don't want to see anyone today. Um, and so we just, I got my boots on and put Boris's lead on and we just went out walking every day. And, we'll, you know, we're... As I said, it'll be two years in May. We walk every day for an hour, at least. We've already been out this morning for an hour. It's sunny. It's freezing, yeah. but it's sunny. Um, and that's what we do. And it's a big part of our routine. And it, I get some fresh air. So I think that's good for my mental health. Yeah. If I've got lots to do that day or lots of things that I'm thinking about writing, it helps me get it straight in my head. He has a great time. Um, it's win-win. It is win-win for everyone. And he... He brings me endless amounts of entertainment <laughs> because pugs just do. Yeah, I mean, you know that. You've seen him on my Instagram, so yeah. Let's be honest. He, he's the star of your Instagram. He's, he is. He's the reason everyone follows you. He is. I know I always tell him this, that he is carrying us. And I'm a little bit worried that he is going to try and um, stage some kind of big break breakaway movement. Get an agent. Yeah, get a big breakaway movement. But, you know, I've explained to him, we are a little bit like Ant and Deck. We don't always stand on the same side. Um, but, you know, that, that he can't he can't do that to me. And, you know, let's not forget, he couldn't have his own Instagram account. He doesn't have opposable thumbs. He couldn't scroll. Well, so this is it. This is it. He, you know, he'd be lost without you. He's, he's being held back yes. from an administrational perspective. So when, when did you get to the point where you thought, okay, I'm doing the house up. This is brilliant. This is, you know, distracting me and giving me something to focus on. Um, I have no idea you had a cat. Yeah, here is here is Mo. Yeah. Um, how does Mo feel about the the whole lack of Instagram time? Mo's never here. Um, and when he is here, he's normally either eating my flowers, which is why these are fake, um, 
or just attacking me. So right. he has... He doesn't deserve to get onto your Instagram. Mo has got a, a real hatred for life. Right? <laughs> so he doesn't... I mean, every now and then he comes on Instagram begrudgingly, but yeah, he's just gone in there to do his own thing. Yeah. He, he, he wants to be close but far. He, he just no... ignored us. He just walked through the dining room. Yeah. Doesn't care what's going on here. No, he doesn't. That's his life. So, you know, if that's how he chooses to behave, then I will treat him with the same contempt <laughs> on Instagram. <laughs> Sounds very nice. He says. Um, so, yeah, um, how did you get to the point where you thought, right, I'm going to start a blog and with it an Instagram account? So, wasn't ever really a thing that I had any intention of doing. I, I happened upon it. Um, I... So Teddy died in the May. I was in survival mode, I guess, for the remainder of that year. Um, and my plan was to go back to my job. Um, in I was I was already at the end of the year in sort of back to work talks with HR, and I was going to try and go back in the March April time, as had been arranged. And I found out that I was pregnant again at the end of. 2016 um so I felt pregnant about three and a half four months after Teddy died um which I wasn't anticipating to happen so quickly I was obviously happy that that was the case um but in the at the beginning of January last year so beginning of 2017 we lost that baby um at just before 15 weeks um because it was a another baby who were that was not going to be I hate the way consultants say this, compatible with life. Mm. Um, totally unrelated to what Teddy had. So we found out that Teddy had something that was a metabolic condition, um, but we didn't actually get the results of that until Mar. Um, he died in May. We got the results in October 2016. Right. So we waited that entire time not knowing what was wrong with him. So metabolic, what... what- what exactly so does that we mean? think of metabolic, we think of metabolism, yeah. don't we? Yeah. Um, which is exactly what I thought when the consultants were saying, oh, we think he has a metabolic problem. Um, it turns out, and I always worry that doctors might listen to this and they'll think, you have no idea what you're talking about. Um, it turns out that our metabolic system is sort of responsible for everything we take into our body. So we metabolize anything oxygen we you know we turn it into whatever we turn it into and we expel co2 and whatever we do um if your genetically your metabolic system doesn't work then i mean if you think about it you could be born with something as small as you can't eat gluten or you're intolerant to dairy but if your entire metabolic system doesn't work, mm. oxygen's poisonous to you. Right. So um, Teddy had something that actually, and this is just some sort of cruel twist of fate. Um, it wasn't inherited from either Nick or I. So we have had all of our, we've had a genetic screening now since he was born. Um, it, and um, neither of us carry anything that a baby could could get hered- hereditary in through genetics. Yes, yeah. through genetics. You, you know it. where I'm going with this. Yeah. So that's really good news. Um, but what then becomes the really bad news is it means what happened to Teddy was just bad luck. Mm. So it happened as the consultant thinks at, at the moment of conception. Um, so the way one really good doctor explained this to me 
he said, think about it um, as like at that moment of conception when sperm meets egg and the collection of cells that will go on to be baby is is formed. It's like that that baby is trying to download all of your files as a computer and all of your partner's files. And it's like one of those files downloading with an error, mm-hmm. downloading incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And so it creates this problem in the body. So it could be a case of a baby being born with a deformity of some kind, you know, when people are born with their fingers fused together or an extra something as as small as that yeah or it could be something huge and what they call life limiting which means that baby is is not compatible with life because something really hasn't copied properly and it actually isn't set up so the thing that teddy had was called 3mga which stands for three methyl glutaric aciduria and there are about six types they think he had five or six think um but they'd never seen a case of it before in the uk and they'd only ever seen a handful of it worldwide right. and that had been recorded so hence why they were like running around yeah saying, we so don't know what's we wrong we don't with know him. and hence why those results that we got in october took so long to come because they tested i think they were um blood samples but also urine samples they'd taken from him when he was alive being kept alive on a ventilator they took those and then they had to take them to a lab they grow cultures from them and then they test those and see so it was a hugely lengthy process that that came to that point where they were able to tell us what was wrong with him and you know for um sort of records give us a cause of death so it was all with the um the coroner and things for a long time which is the last thing you want to be caught up in when you just lost your child but I kind of had to keep telling myself you know it it will give us answers it will give us answers so anyway going back to your original question went uh went on to get pregnant again that baby had something completely different wrong with it um and unfortunately that pregnancy ended at uh just shy of 15 weeks at the beginning of January last year. I People always tell you lightning doesn't strike twice. And I remember when the very few handful of people who knew that we were expecting again, oh, you know, this is going to, this is so good, it's so lovely, you guys have got good news, lightning doesn't strike twice. People love a, a saying. Yeah, they do, they do. Um, but it turns out, actually, that it does. <laughs> sorry I have to laugh because I think sometimes you just think it's it's so ridiculous isn't it are are people now saying to you third time lucky oh yeah I've had a couple of those I've had a couple of oh you know you guys have had so much bad luck there's there's no way it could happen again I feel like don't tempt the universe because you know that guy is not my friend at the moment hi this is Craig Robinson from ways to win And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Um, and yeah, that happened in January and I guess enough time had passed after Teddy had died for me to sort of get my words straight in my head of what I wanted to say about it. Um, and I felt like I was in a position emotionally to actually help potentially help other people as well as it being a huge therapy for me you're a writer you know how brilliant it is to put pen to paper or it can to really bed, help yeah to brain dump everything as yeah. it were um but I thought you know now you've got your words straight you can actually articulate this in a way that will probably be quite relatable for other people to think yeah and that happened to me and was there a part of you that kind of wanted some good to come out of this like have you felt like you know you could help other people yeah. or, or had you not even processed that kind of thought at that point in my head I thought we were already doing some good stuff because we'd already started fundraising so we'd started fundraising pretty much I think about two weeks after Teddy died wow. um I started just giving page because I and this it's, it was a two birds with one stone kind of thing lots of people obviously wanted to know what had happened right so I did a just giving page yeah. in in a sort of like double-edged sword to kind of yeah. tell everybody what had happened but at the same time in the in the vain hope that they might read Teddy's story and think oh my goodness you know we need to give to that cause so we chose to raise money for the NICU you know Ashford and St Peter's Hospital who had tried so hard to save his life you know they'd done everything and the care that they gave him and us as a family was just incredible and and I think my just giving page the the, the piece that I wrote the spiel that I wrote kind of and I wrote it as I would say it out loud still stands the same to this day I've never edited what I wrote on that page and you wrote um, that two weeks after he died I think it was actually about 10 days after he died oh. um and he I just needed to, to tell everybody and I posted it to my Facebook and my husband's Facebook and I posted a link to it on my personal Instagram page at the time um, and then I just sat and watched these kind of donations come in and you know, people who I kind of forgot I'd even ever known were finding out about it and donating and and um, I think within a couple of weeks we'd raised about £15,000 so we'd done wow. that so in my head we were already doing something that was making us feel like we were you know having a positive impact in some way and the blog I guess yeah was kind of an extension of that it was kind of a well let's talk about baby loss but also I wanted to talk about all the things that I'd done to cope in these months that followed because that's the bit you know when the dust settles and everyone gets over the initial shock of what's happened to you and people probably stop asking how are you and quite as much yeah everyone goes back to work goes back to doing their own thing um that's when people sort of forget that you might need a little bit more support yeah. because no matter what happens or how, how much time elapses 
Teddy's still not here. And, yeah. you know, that is a constant reminder for us every single day because he's not here in the house. But I think, you know, it's so easy. We live in a society, don't we, where everything's so busy. And unintentionally, people just forget. And I wanted to kind of be the support and also a way for me to get it out there, how I felt, for those people who were in the same boat as us and were trying to cope with the everyday things that used to be really easy, like social occasions. Mm. And now, actually, it's not so easy because that's always there and it's... You, have you found and you experienced people being quite awkward with you because they don't know how to speak to you? Because yes, I mean, and, and do you find that have you found that this has defined you to some people? Are, are, are you ever worried that this has become so much part of your identity? Yeah, do you know what? It's interesting you should say that. Nico and I had a conversation in the early days after Teddy died, and he said. Um, that's probably the most profound thing my husband's ever said in his life so we'll <laughs> let him have this moment okay, that's he, he said I don't want this to define us I don't want this I don't want Teddy dying to be the reason that we don't or we can't or we say no we can't do that because our son died mm. he said I want him to be the reason that we do and that we can that's really amazing I know and I was like shit he's right I hate it when he's right but it's, it's, it's absolutely the case you know mm. You have to take whatever's happened to you and go, okay, that's really, really bad, like devastatingly bad, worse than I could ever say. But actually, do I want to be that woman 30, 40 years down the line who everyone goes, oh, don't you don't talk to her, her baby died. You know, who, who wants to be her? On the flip side of that, though, in the immediate weeks and months, it's all right oh, yeah, to be right, saying yeah. no to stuff. Oh, yeah, be her, be her. You cry, know. Cry your eyes out, because I did. And and I think, you know, that people need to be mindful of that, that you're not going to be your happy, clappy, normal self. Mm. For me, anyone who knows me, any of my friends, family will tell you, I've always been the joker, like... That's just how I get by day to day. I'm the type of person who go into work meetings and crack jokes and take the mick out of everyone else. Um, and I think it was quite shocking for a lot of my friends to see me suddenly not, not that person. And I can remember saying to my husband, I'm really terrified. I'm not going to get that part of me back again. I'm, I'm, I'm terrified to leave the house. I've always been the most confident person. And I can't walk out the front door. What has happened? I'm, I'm terrified. I'm never going to come back to any any even sort of shadow of myself, mm. let alone a full version of, of how I was. And that was quite petrifying. Um, but slowly it kind of creeps back in, doesn't it? You, I always use um the quote and if you've probably seen this on my instagram there's a crack in everything and that's how the light gets in yeah and it just explains it so well to me because i think and i can remember that the first sort of week or so after teddy died sitting in bed and not wanting to swing my legs around the side to get out of bed and get up and face the day and i kind of had the shutters half open i was drinking a cup of tea and it was the beginning of summer and there were builders on the roof opposite, as there always are on this road, <laughs> shouting. Um, and there I could hear people's footsteps to work and the sun was coming through the shutters across the room. And I remember thinking, and it was quite a lightning bolt moment, I can sit here and I can let this 
be the reason that I don't and I can and I can just curl up in a ball and let this define me in a really bad way but life is going on out there whether I like it or not the the world keeps turning the universe keeps you know doing what it's doing whether that's good thing good energy or bad energy I can choose to partake or I can choose to to not and and that was when I just thought well sod it let's get stuck in let's make do something positive and make positive change and I think that then sort of manifested itself in the blog because it was just you know something that I felt well you had that moment because you had great support around you and and I was very fortunate but I was thinking what about the what about the women who don't what about the people out there who have just lost a baby and they don't have a partner or a husband they're going through this on their own or what if you know that lady who's just lost a baby her mum's not here anymore she doesn't have a a great supportive mum and supportive mother-in-law like I do she's on her own who's helping her who's telling her that she's going to be all right and I thought well if that is a reason alone to write about it then that's it isn't it it's amazing and did you have any inkling that it would grow in the way that it has no I'm completely out of my depth here (laughs) and I'm the first person to admit that uh, I um I still get a bit still get a bit um kind of not uneasy that's the wrong word you know I think you were talking about this on Instagram yesterday about being referred to as an influencer Mm, it's a weird old word isn't it yeah what's that about um yeah, I mean, is it my job to influence people to spend their money? <laughs> I don't know if I want to be her. I think, I think <laughs> you know what? I think I think that, that anyone describing you as an influencer, I think it's this is why I think that it's such a weird word to use, and I think that you are the perfect example of why it's totally inappropriate to call people like you, people like me. An influencer because actually what you do is so much more and to define you by the fact that sometimes you pay the bills by whacking a brand yeah. on on Instagram or on your blog is is, and, is doing you a huge injustice and it, that part of it for me has only come very very recent become sort of apparent very very recently and I wrote a blog you know uh, at the end of this last year beginning of this one explaining that the amount of money that I made from Instagram last year was probably less than a third in a year than I would make in a month when I was in my old job. I'm not cashing in by any stretch of the imagination. And yeah, I I say no to, as I'm sure you do, so many things that I just, they don't spark joy in me. They don't make me go, oh, that, that's really exciting. I get that, oh, really? They want to work with me? If I don't get that, I just say no, not through any you know negative connotations towards that brand or anything other than I feel like it's really disingenuous if mm. it's not something that gets me excited and, and I would have in my house or I would wear then it's quite a simple rule just say no no thank you just but, say no but that's but that no thank you it's really lovely yeah. that you've asked me but the, this is what I'm about and actually my priority is writing for free onto my own blog and telling people about 
yeah, what we've been through and how I'm coping. And, yeah. and that, for me, is my absolute priority. And I will always, always prioritise that writing over anything else that's going on. And fundraising, that gets priority. And, and brands aside, um, you, you have just amassed this incredible following of people. And when I started following you on Instagram less than a year ago, I think you probably had 16,000 followers. And now, what are you on? Fifty something. Fifty. Oh, she's so casual. No, no, it's because I, I don't fifty think, something. It's over fifty. It's over fifty. Um, it's, would you like? Would you like a running total? Come on then, Terry. Okay, here we go. I feel like this is like the Blue Peter so, uh, appeal. I currently have uh, fifty-three thousand six hundred and seventy followers. I mean, you know, I, I mean, fear. it could dip in in, in the time <laughs> that we It could be a fluctuation. Some people might be. I might be rumbled. They might be on to me. And um, it's a yeah. fair few. Let, let's let's be honest. Yes, yeah, becoming like quite a crowded room now, rather than just me sitting at a bar with a few mates. Yeah. Um, I. I mean, you can tell me what your take on it is, but my my take on why you have amassed such a huge following in, is Boris. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but yeah. Um, borrowers aside, um, I feel like, um, and I, I we, we chatted about this earlier, didn't we? So I, I, I'm repeating myself to you, but no one else has heard no it. No one else knows. Um, I feel like you um, mix such an important message. You talk about baby loss and you talk about the emotions and what you've been through and your story. Um but you mix it in with doing your house up, Boris, fashion, basically your life. Really bad sense of humour as well. Really <laughs> awful jokes. Um, and on Instagram stories in particular, I the reason I started following you and started recommending you to anyone who would listen was because I was like, oh, she's just so engaging. Like you watch her stories and there's something about the way she talks to the camera that you feel like, you're her friend and that you're there and that's I guess the genius thing about Instagram stories is that you get little daily updates from people and their lives and whatever they're choosing to share with you and I don't know if you necessarily realize actually how hard that is to create to you you're probably just doing it and chatting away to your phone but actually a lot of people try and do it and don't manage to yeah I suppose there is that I don't guess I don't really probably like with most things in my life I never really overthink it too much um and I've always said on my Instagram stories and you know I probably don't make make many friends for saying things like this but like my shit don't like my shit actually you know if you don't you don't have to follow and if you do then amazing because I uh everyone's welcome mm. i mean I, I might as well have like an all welcome board um sort of out, out a, front a neon sign yeah everyone is welcome um and i think that kind of inclusivity of of saying to people yeah come along if you like pugs if you like house stuff if you like fashion if you like bad jokes if you like any anything in life that's just oh, sometimes i talk about how i'm doing the ironing and i think it's very easy, isn't it, to get caught up in the glossiness of those little squares yeah. and feel inadequate or feel like that person who is a blogger or a, an Instagrammer, inverted commas, um, is is leading this wonderfully perfect, glamorous life where they are heading off to the opening of a of a pair of curtains. Do, I do, do you know what I mean? They're yeah. going to everything. And and my life isn't like that because I suffer massively still with anxiety after Teddy died. Um, 
And so I don't really do that. It's a lot of me at home um, messing about with stories. Every now and then I'll go to something and it gets me a bit, ooh, and I think, get me. I'm all excited because I'm back in London where I used to work every day and it makes me feel all serious. But yeah, most of it is very mundane stuff. It's the very, very day-to-day stuff of what I'm doing, whether that be sitting in a parked car talking before I go into a yoga class or talking about the fundraising that we're doing or out on a walk with Boris or whatever it is. And I think, yeah, hopefully people pick up on that vibe that, that it's like, you know, all welcome, anything goes, let's just have a laugh. A lot of the people that you follow and mix with now are mums, I mean, you know, myself included. How hard is that, that you are you know following people on Instagram and chatting to them and they're talking about their families and their kids and it's different isn't it it's just a different narrative of motherhood I mean albeit my narrative is pretty shocking um and not the one that anyone wants to think about um my friends and I my friends and I the ones who've all lost babies who who I've who've become my friends since Teddy died we always sort of refer to ourselves as the anti-NCT group like you know the one that nobody wants to end up a member of but we're all kind of like platinum members and um you know we joke about that because again I think you have to joke about stuff in life um I I don't find it necessarily hard. Lots of my friends, all of my friends have children, bar a couple. Um, and I, I can remember saying to one of my friends, best friends very early on, because she wanted to come and see me and she said, oh, I won't bring, I won't bring my baby. Um, he was little at the time and we can just hang out together. And I remember saying to her, if I'm going to avoid everyone who has children for the foreseeable, I might as well just delete everyone in my phone book because like them that's all my friends all my mates I can't say that well you know you've got kids so we probably can't be friends anymore um it it is incredibly unfortunate our circumstances and incredibly unfair but everybody gets dealt a different hand of cards in life and I always remind myself when I see a pregnant lady when I'm in the town that we live in, which is essentially Nappy Valley, everyone has moved out of London to here and is pushing a, a buggy or a double buggy. And sometimes that double buggy's got a kick, kickboard with another toddler stood on the side. You know, I always remind myself that you do not know the journey that anyone has been through. Journey, yeah. there's that word again. Yeah. And the journey that anyone has been through to get where they are. So if I see a pregnant woman, heavily pregnant woman, walking past me in the high street, smugly rubbing her tummy with the armfuls of Jojo Mammon bebe bags. I don't know that she hasn't just gone through seven rounds of IVF to get there. I don't know that she hasn't already had a stillborn child mm-hmm. um, and is this is her rainbow baby. And I have no concept of what is going on in that person's life. And I just think if I keep that at the forefront of my mind, you know, that that's really important, I think, for us all to remember. Yeah. And actually, those friends of mine who do have children... Some of them have lost their parents, mm. you know, so they've been through a hardship or something that I have no concept and no understanding of. And, you know, we've supported them through that and vice versa. They've supported us through losing Teddy. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of, well, that's the, without sounding too hippy-dippy, that's like the, the fabric of life, isn't it? It's the patchwork that makes us all up. So yeah. every, everything's different and every narrative's different yeah. of motherhood. And, and, and you are a mother, yeah, I am. Let's not forget. Yes, it's it's different, um, but it is, yeah, anybody who 
as far as I'm concerned, as a child, whether they birth that child or adopt that child or whether that child comes out naturally or, you know, however that child comes into the world, if you become their mother, then that's absolutely what you are forever, mm-hmm. whether that child is here or not. And I think as a society, we um, we struggle a little bit still with that conversation mm-hmm. um, because mainly maybe because we don't really have a word for it. You know, we have widow and widower, we have those kind of things, but when somebody loses a child, it's... It's true. We don't have a word for it. No. Um, And it's... I think... I did um, an interview, actually, uh, with a a newspaper the other day, just a local one, because I have been shortlisted for the Tommy's Baby Charity Awards, for the Mum's Voice Awards. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, And they were interviewing me about that. And the the guy who was um, interviewing me, I think, it's difficult to tell on the phone, but I think he was quite young. He was quite nervous about talking to me because it's a difficult subject. He mm. didn't know how I was going to be. And at the end of the conversation, he said to me, so you would call yourself a mother then? Um, you referred to yourself as a mother a couple of times when we were talking, so you would consider yourself. And I said, well, what, what would you call me? And he didn't actually know what to say back. Um, and I said to him, okay, if my husband had just died would I still be his wife? And he said, well, of course you would. And I said, so my son was born and then he died. Am I still his mother? Because I've got a birth certificate and a you know, death certificate that says that that's the case. So it's so weird that we have this thing where that person isn't physically here. Yeah. So therefore, we'll just erase that little bit from history and we'll yeah. just take that title away from you. And I think... No, that's not how life works. No. So, yeah, absolutely I am. And so is everyone who has been through anything like that. Uh, and you must get so many messages from people who have been through similar similar things. How do you um, find the balance between offering those people support without it impacting on you and your recovery? That's a really tricky balance to strike and that is probably one of the things that I've struggled with the most because I'm not a counsellor mm-hmm. and I've never had any counselling it's probably counsellors listening to this thinking you probably should love <laughs> I think um, you should no. <laughs> I'm not a counsellor um so uh but I've never ruled it out and um one of my very good friends, Michelle, who writes Dear Orla, who I know that you're aware of. Yeah. Um, Michelle is a, a clinical psychotherapist, so she knows her stuff. Um, and she, you know, I kind of said to her freely and openly a couple of months after Teddy died, well, I'm not speaking to any, I'm not speaking to anyone. Because everyone always says that, you know, something horrible happened. They go, well, well have you spoken to anyone? Mm. And I'm like, what, you mean in a professional capacity? So I wasn't speaking to anyone um, and never have but I haven't ruled it out I've always thought that if I were ever get if if I were to ever get to a place where I felt like I couldn't cope or I wasn't coping or that there was some maybe red flags of of crazy behavior or not being able to leave the house I think in the first few weeks that's understandable that's that's normal that's normal grief and shock yeah but if it got to a point where it affected my everyday life and I it stopped me from doing things or stopped me from carrying on normally whatever that means Mm. um absolutely I would seek help and I would talk to somebody um 
and for that reason, you know, I'm I'm not a counsellor. I never had any counselling, so I'm not here to dish out help or advice to anybody. I can I can regale my story, and I can tell people how things I've done, ways I've coped, um, things I found difficult and still find difficult. Um, but it's very difficult to give advice because I don't know that person. I've only met them through the pixels of Instagram or through an email, a direct message. Um, and so I, I, I definitely do hold back in giving any advice. I normally, you know, thank people for. I always take the time to read their story. I read everyone's email, everyone's message that they send me. Um, take the time to understand their story, and um, thank them. You know, if, particularly if they've shared the story of you know their childhood they've lost with me. I always thank them for that because I think that's a very difficult thing to write out to a stranger. Um, particularly if, if you're maybe the kind of person that doesn't talk about it and has mm. swept it under the carpet for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, some women who've written to me. Yeah, they feel they can speak to you about it. That's amazing. And, you know, I, I always thank everyone for, for sharing their experiences and their stories um, and thank them for reading Teddy's because that means a huge amount to me that they bothered to actually read my writing. Um, it means that it's being received well. But yeah, I, I really do strike a balance of, of not giving out any advice. Um, but also, are you, are you not taking on the weight of the world on your shoulders? That, you know, you're dealing yeah. with your shit. And I guess it must be tricky not to kind of go to sleep worrying about other people's problems too. And in the early days of the blog, so probably a year ago when I'd first recently started writing... I think I realised quite early on, you can't help everyone. Like, you can't invest emotionally in everybody's story. Um, and I think it's like with anything in life, You like you just said, you can only deal with your own shit. Mm. So if your shit's really bad because you're going through something awful, so for me, I'm still dealing with the loss of our son. And I deal with it in different ways. And some days I'm great and I can crack jokes. And some days I am not so great. Um and that's natural and that's normal. But you, I guess I kind of think of myself as a glass of water where I can only be so full with my own stuff going on. And actually to have extra people pouring more water into the top of that, of other stuff, everything's going to overflow and bubble over and you're going to lose it quite quickly. Yeah. Um, and so I have to just remember that when people write to me that you know they are dealing with it that's their thing um they have to deal with that with their family and their friends or any expert help that they choose to to seek and I am purely there to you know write about Teddy write about how I've coped and hopefully those words that I write in my blog pieces they're enough for them to sort of take a, a sentence of what I say or or something that I've written about with regards to how I felt, that's enough to help them. And yeah. I imagine for the, the wider audience, that is enough. And they just, that's enough for them to just dip into the blog, read it, go, yeah, brilliant, off I go. Um, but for some people, they then need to share their experiences, which I totally get. Um, but I'm just not in a position to be able to give anything back because... I've done my writing, I've said my piece on what I think on that subject, and it kind of kind of ends there, really, or I would have written more mm-hmm. on it, mm-hmm. <laughs> if, that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's totally fair enough, Elle. Um, now, I, I usually end with some quick-fire questions. Ooh. So, um, 
clearly hugely appropriate to go from such a serious topic to some, you know, uh, off the cuff. Yeah, I'm ready. I hear you. Uh, questions. Um, who is the better politician? Boris Wright or Boris Johnson? Boris Wright every time. Yeah. I mean, what he doesn't know about building bridges <laughs> over uh, over the channel is um, it's not worth knowing. There we go. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, favourite Farrell and ball colour? Uh, Wevet. Is that how you say it? I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> W-E-V-E-T. It's probably the colour that's pa- it's painted in my sitting room, my bedroom and our spare room. I am addicted to Wevit. Addicted to um, Wevit. If anyone from Farnborough is listening, uh, if you could give us some clarification on the uh, on the pronunciation of Wevit, that would be wonderful. And send a few tins this way. <laughs> Um, favourite Spice Girl because you, you know, you've got a bit of love for the uh, the nineties girl band. I, then. Uh, I've got I, I've got so much love for the nineties. I, I was born in the eighties, which I mean I you know I grew up in the nineties. That was oh, do you know what I really hate meeting people who were born in the eighties. It makes me feel so old. And remind you of that <laughs> Calvin Harris song. Probably was that what you said? Born in the eighties. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah. So the nineties is is my thing um particularly you know spice girls i think favorite spice girl oh god now you're asking do you know what i'm gonna go emma bunton ah purely because i feel like she is a really lovely person Mm. like whenever you see anything of her i just feel like she and she's always the kind of person who's smiling and laughing and and I like to surround myself with people like that yeah. because then I just have a really good time yeah. in life. So yeah, I'm gonna go with Emma Bunton. Excellent. Do you know what? I know you didn't ask me, but I'm gonna answer that question. I go for Jerry. Oh ginger spice. Because of her baking skills, because she likes to bake on Instagram, doesn't she? Well that's not why. It's more just because whenever she's interviewed, she's very unpredictable and you never know what she's gonna say. And she's just the kind of person just she's a bit like me in that she, I think she speaks before she thinks, which just makes her very entertaining. Word vomit, that's what they call it, isn't it? Or it comes up and then you're like, oh, I just said that. Yeah, Yeah. I'm really bad at that. Um, Elle, thank you very much for being my guest today. No, thank you for having me. It's been really good fun. It's been just incredible to chat to you. And yeah, I'll put the links to uh, Teddy's fundraising page on the show notes and people can click and read more and donate. Thank you. Does anyone else think that my cheery jingle suddenly sounds very inappropriate? Thank you so much for tuning in today. Um, As you can tell, Elle is just an amazing, amazing lady and I urge you to go and follow her on Instagram and read her blog if you haven't already. If you have two minutes spare, please do pop over to iTunes and subscribe and rate and review the podcast. And I'll catch up with you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.